0: Okay, so this is the Great Commission kind of setting the table. The last thing Jesus says before he ascends into heaven are these words, okay? And then after he ascends into heaven, which I'll talk about in a moment, he sends the Holy Spirit back to his people. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Okay, okay. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. this one's from the NIV. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then Acts 1.8 from the ESB. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, very good. Thank you, Russ and Lori. Let me pray for us that the Word of God would go forth with power. Oh God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to see the truths from your Holy Word that you and that you only have for us today as you continue to grow and mold us day by day into the image of your Son. May every other word that is spoken from behind this pulpit that is not from you fall quickly to the ground and be forgotten but may your words sink into our hearts and challenge us and change us forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're finishing up next week this series that we've called The Table, okay? Um, So today we're going to look at, we've been looking at multiplication. Uh, Week one was seed multiplication, that was Adam. This week, we're going to look at regional multiplication. And then next week, we're going to look at this global multiplication. And then after that, we're going to develop this table series, and we're going to turn it into a discipleship tool that we'll be able to use one-on-one with people uh, for new people that come to, you know, to Christ, and maybe even in community groups. So that's a behind-the-scenes project that's being developed with, with, between Johnson City and Elizabeth. But then after next week, we'll jump into Advent. And then in January, I am here to gloriously tell you, as a pastor, Sam and I are like ecstatic. We are going to jump into the book of Ephesians. Please say amen and hallelujah on that. We're probably going to stay in Ephesians for about a year. And it's going to be amazing. Cannot wait. Okay, so who's been paying attention? I could just go like this and, you know, and you could look in your worship guide. But just tell me. Please bless me and let me know that you've been paying attention. What's on top of the table? The gospel. What was leg number one? Worship. Okay, what was leg number two? Community. Leg number three? And leg number four? Multiplication. Very good. So this is our table. I won't rehash all of these different parts of the table, but you can see we've already filled it out here. The second one under multiplication, which you can write down in your worship guide is regional multiplication. And if you want to go ahead and jump ahead, the last one is going to be for global multiplication. The definition that Adam gave us last week, I'm going to read to you again. This is not an infallible definition of multiplication that comes from the Word of God. This is just a bunch of Christian guys that came together and and worked through it and came up with a a definition. But gospel-centered multiplication, God who in His generosity gives and shares good gifts to His people, commands multiplication in which followers of Jesus Christ are made through witnessing, discipleship, church planting, and the global effort, which is what we you know heard from the mehans the global effort to share his gospel with all the world okay so last week um adam thank you for stepping in um it was a it was an amazing thing to be able just to watch and worship online and just see the people that the lord's bringing into our fellowship but just hear the word of god go forth i thought adam did a great job last week and then sam the week before preaching my sermon You, you did an amazing job as well Uh, So Adam reminded us that God himself created this whole idea of multiplication. We see it in molecules and plants and animals. You know, we see it in humans, of course, but we're looking at uh, multiplication within the church, which is where we're focusing last week, uh, this week, and uh, next week as well. He also reminded us that Jesus was and is the perfect seed that went into the ground. And once he sprouted, he made it possible for gospel multiplication to take place. And we were told that it's the Lord himself who began this process and who sustains this idea of multiplication because Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's exactly what he's doing from these 12 all the way to Elizabethan, Tennessee over the past 2,000-plus years. So he's the one that convicts. He's the one that draws people to himself. So yes, multiplication primarily rests upon the shoulders of the Lord. However, we were also reminded via the Great Commission, which we're going back to today, that he has commanded us to go make disciples. So we do have a responsibility To be witnesses and to share God's word and to share God's truth with people in our region, in our communities, and then ultimately all over the world. Okay, so in light of the fact that the seed has been sown to make gospel multiplication possible, today we're gonna look at regional multiplication and we're gonna go back and look at these passages again. And what we're looking for is what has he called us to do? Okay? Um, how has He called us to do it, and then where has He called us to do it. So we're going to quickly look at that what and the how, and we're going to look at the where. But let's go back and look at the passage again. Now, we share this passage a lot. In fact, it was probably three months ago or so, I remember even preaching on this passage. And I'm big on bookends, and you'll see that. You know, But the the bookend that I used, the first one was in verse number 18, where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So he's in charge. And then the back bookend, he says, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So we see Jesus as the bookend. All authority has been given to me. He is the one in charge. And he says, and I'm going to be with you the whole time. So everything that you see in the middle here rests between those two facts. But the, the go is his command. What are we to do? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. That's multiplication right there. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Because when you see people that not only hear the gospel, but will obey the gospel, they are producing fruits of repentance, which shows that they truly are following Jesus. So going back to our Philippians um, series, we know that you can't say, oh, I believe the gospel, and then put it aside and live however you want to without being obedient. If that happens for, you know, to you for a great amount of time in your life, you probably need to test yourself to see whether the Lord is in you or not, um, as 2 Corinthians 13 tells us. And he says, and you might actually fail that test because gospel, Jesus, fellowship always produces obedience. Okay, true fellowship. So, what he has called us to do, the what, is to go and to go make disciples. So truth number one, if you're taking notes in your worship guide, truth number one, our salvation comes with multiplication purpose for each of us. This is a little bit of a reminder of what Adam talked about last week, but we are here on purpose to go and to multiply. But how? Let's jump into the how. Let's go back and look at Acts 1-8 again. So the setting here, so that we don't jump ahead too quickly, is Jesus says, I am going to be with you. All power has been given to me. Now go make disciples. And then he literally ascended into heaven. And he said, wait, because remember, he had told us that the Holy Spirit was going to come, and the Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit came with great power. Okay, So that's what they're doing right now. So in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, power because He is in us. This is that seed multiplication that Adam talked about. The seed goes into the ground, the seed sprouts out, and then Jesus says, it's better that I leave you because if I leave you, I'll be able to come back to you. But He's able to do that with various individuals all over the city, the region, and the world. It's Christ reproducing himself in individuals so that it is Christ within us that provides the hope of glory and gives us the power to be able to share these truths with our other individuals. It's a progressive multiplication. It starts in Jerusalem, and it makes its way all around the globe. But the question is, how... The power, there's this word that's used here in the Greek. It's not Latin, because if I give a Latin pr- pronunciation, I know you five people that'll make fun of me, okay? So in the Greek, it's dunamis. In the Latin, it's dunamis. But in the Greek, it's dunamis, and this word means it's power, okay? It's, it's power, demonstration of power, display of divine supernatural ability. It's where we get the words dynamic or dynamo, or dynamite. It's a true explosive power that comes upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord has given us um, this process of how the gospel is going to spread. First, He gives us the Great Commission, okay? Last instructions before He ascends into heaven. Secondly, He returns to us and these divided tongues of fire, do you remember when Sam preached about five weeks ago? You know, he takes us to Pentecost and he shows that these, these tongues of fire, they go and they land on everybody. And he reminds us from the Old Testament that when you see fire, it usually represented the presence of God. So the Lord is painting this amazing picture where the presence of God was in a burning bush or a presence of God was in this pillar of fire. Now the presence of God is landing upon different Jesus followers. This seed multiplication is making its way into us you know, as Jesus followers. So that's the second thing. And then so third, those that follow Him now have the Holy Spirit living in, within them and they can and they should be witnesses because of Dunamis this power that lands upon them. And then this gospel that started in Jerusalem with 12 men eventually spreads throughout the whole world, which we will talk more about next week. So we see this dunamis, this power in Acts chapter 2 when our fisherman Peter you know, stands up and he proclaims the gospel. And on that day, about 3,000 people came to faith. This was Peter the fisherman. And you can see it all throughout the book of Acts. These were guys that when Jesus was arrested, they scattered, they ran, they were afraid, they were coward. And Peter had said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will die for you. And Jesus kind of cocks his head and says, really? This night, the cock will crow three times and you will have denied me, you know, three times. And um, that's exactly what happened. He was denied three times, so Peter scatters. He's afraid. He even curses and says, I don't know this guy. And then a few um, days later, we see the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit come upon Peter, and he proclaims the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved. And you can see this narrative, and the whole point of Acts is that the church begins, the New Testament church begins with Acts chapter 1, and it goes through chapter 28, but then it just ends abruptly, so if you read the book of Acts, you're like, well, wait a minute. Where's, what happens next? We are next. This is why there's, um, you know, not the denomination, but there's a group called the Acts 29 Network. And the whole point is that Acts 29 is when the church continues to move forward and to grow. We are a part of that. It hasn't ended. He said that he would build his church and he is continuing to do so. I'd love to read chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, and 7 in Acts to you this morning, but I'm not going to. But let's just get a a little bit of it. So if you've got your Bibles, look at, let's go to Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 29 through 31. Okay, this is just getting a, um, a, a slight taste of what's happening here. So Peter and John are being scolded because they're preaching and they're teaching the gospel. And then you've got these believers that are just praying that God would give them boldness. So I'm just going to read verses 29 through 32. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So these new believers, they go before the Lord and they say, oh God, persecution is beginning. People are telling us not to proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. Help us not to cower. Help us to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. And for us to do that, we need your boldness. We need your power to come upon us. And that's exactly what happened. And if you go look at um, you know, the rest of that chapter and go in chapter 5, you see these amazing things that are taking place. But what happens is the religious people of the time are really upset about it because they see this following. They see these people, or they were following Jesus, and now they're following the teachings of his disciples, and they're ready to just take them, put them in jail, have them stoned, have them killed. And there's an interesting um, thing that takes place here. One of their very own, Gamaliel, pulls them aside and speaks to them. And I want to read that to you. So now I'm in chapter 5, verses 27, all the way to the end of that chapter. So Acts chapter 5, verses 27 and following. It says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Speaking of Jesus, of course. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And If you don't have that one marked in your Bible, you might want to do so. We must obey God rather than men. We're living in trying times in our world. And there's going to come a time, probably in our lifetime, where we need to go back to this passage and remember, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses. There's our word. We are witnesses. You shall be witnesses. And he says, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those whom obey him. And I just covered every bit of that. If we follow Jesus, we obey Him, His Spirit comes upon us, and He gives us the power to live out the Christian life. Okay, in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. They were so upset they wanted to kill them, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So he sends them outside, and he gathers back the other Pharisees, and here's what he said. He says, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, so his seed went to the ground, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Okay? After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew some away from the people of, of the people after him. He too perished, So his seed went into the ground, and all who followed him were scattered. Okay? So he's making a point, and listen to his conclusion. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them you might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they'd called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, which, of course, they're not going to obey because they must obey God rather than men. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ or that the Christ is Jesus. So what Gamaliel is saying is, guys, if this is a man, just like every other seed that's gone into the ground, it'll just disperse. It'll end. But if that really was the seed, if Jesus really was the Christ, if Jesus really was the Messiah, if this really was the Son of God, then you're not going to be able to do anything to stop it anyway. And only time is going to tell. And what he's doing is he's prophesying that this multiplication would take place. And he was right. Jesus began to build His church, and He's continued to do so. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that any man can do about that because God is fulfilling His own promise to build His church. So they left the place. They became filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, we're going to obey God rather than man, They said, we are witnesses to these things, and then the Lord used that to begin to multiply His people, His church. This power, this dunamis in the Spirit is so critical. I can't get it out of my head this week. I was thinking about it in preparation for just coming to be able to to preach. You know, our words are just so... Nothing, and they so quickly fall to the ground. But mixed with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God, God can use it to draw people's hearts unto Himself. So yes, only God can save. It is a truth of the gospel coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit that He uses to be able to save people. It is Him, and it is not us. And once we understand that, some of the pressure can come off of our shoulders, but it doesn't excuse us from being a part of the process. And it should actually drive us to pray just like these early Christians did. Oh God, give us power, give us boldness. Remind us that it is God who works in us to will and to act according to His good pleasure. Remind us of what Jesus taught, that we must abide in the vine because apart from Him we can do nothing. But with His dunamis, with His power, we can do anything. We can do all things. And when I hear this, then I begin asking myself the question that I'm going to ask you. If these things are true, and they are, why do we not continue in this same power today? Why are we, the church in general, not going in the power of the Spirit and being bold witnesses? I want to get the mic and just, let's have a dialogue here. But I can't because I'm looking at the clock. But we need to think about this. We need to ask that question. What's happened? What happened? There was X. There was the power. The word of God was spreading. People were being witnesses. And now we can't even speak the name of Jesus. We're afraid to what has happened to us. Or here's another question this is for you, but it's also for me. When is the last time you have witnessed that you've shared your story of what Jesus has done in your life? When's the last time you've shared your story, you've witnessed to those things that you know to be true? I'm not talking about walking them through the four spiritual laws and sharing the gospel, okay? I'm just saying you know what the Lord did, you know where you were, you know where your life was headed, The mercy and the grace of God came and touched you and gave you a different trajectory, and it forever changed your life. Maybe not everybody in here, but a a lot of us. And and we are witness to these things that we know to be true. And part of our being a witness is not that we have to be able to um, regurgitate these 14 verses, but you just witness to these things that you know to be true, and you tell someone your story So my first question is, when's the last time you just told your story to somebody? You just witnessed to them. Or, when's the last time you actually spoke the name Jesus Christ to someone? Not God, not church, but Jesus Christ. There's a boldness there in declaring the name of Jesus. Or, when's the last time you actually shared the gospel? It doesn't have to be done perfectly, but you attempt to walk them through and explain the gospel you know, to, to another individual? Or when's the last time that you and I have said, no, I need to commit these scriptures to memory because Jesus has called us to be his witnesses and to share the gospel throughout the world, and I have a hard time finding some of these verses, so I need to commit them to memory. And I could go on with these kinds of questions. But as a church, in general, we haven't done well. I'm not picking on Redstone Elizabethan, though I probably am, but I'm talking about the church in general. We should be doing more than what we're doing. In January, we don't know how we're going to do it yet. We haven't figured it out yet. But we're, we're working on a curriculum to be able to equip the saints. Remember Ephesians 4, we talked about like three weeks ago, equip the saints for the works of ministry. And one of the things we want to do is to give you some basic tools. Of This is what the gospel is right? Here's how you can share the gospel. Now let's practice, okay? Or let's work on what's your story? What, what, what did the Jesus do in your life? And we want to hear that. Let's practice that. Just some real basic tools of how to engage people in conversation, how to, you know my passage, Colossians 4.2. You'll hear it tonight again at the, um, the family meeting, 7 o'clock, be here. So, but you'll hear this um, remain steadfast in prayer and watchful in it with thanksgiving? How do you remain watchful while you're praying and watch the Lord open up the door and be willing to step in and speak gospel truth or the name of Jesus? We want to help you to know how to do that. So either in community groups or here on Sunday nights, we haven't figured it out yet, but we're, we're, we're telling you, we're going to help you. Okay, and hopefully after four or five or six weeks or however long that it takes, you'll be better equipped and emboldened to begin speaking the name of Jesus and sharing the gospel with people. And yes, that was a plug. Um, but that's where we're, we're going. So, and now we jump into the, the what or the where uh, or we to share the gospel. And we see it today. It's in Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But right now we're looking at Jerusalem right there in the middle. Okay, and then Judea is the, the region around Jerusalem. And then they go up into um, Samaria, which I just would jump into right now, but we just, we'll just say that till next week, and then ultimately until the ends of the world. But there's this word that I like, and it's extrapolate. Extrapolate means to project, extend, or expand known data or experience into an area not known or experienced. That's a crazy definition, but the, what it, it does, though, it helps me to understand. So, what happened was right here in Jerusalem, this truth was, was presented. And then it was extrapolated over into Judea and then into Samaria. But it's the same truth, and it hasn't been watered down at all. It's the truth of Christ. And we see that making its way all the way to Elizabethan. So there's these different uses, uses of multiplication that I want to walk us through, but pretty quickly when we think about Acts chapter 1, verses 8. And you've seen this before because I've used this about six weeks ago. Okay, Acts 1, multiplication, extrapolation begins with Jerusalem, It goes into Judea, Judea, goes into Samaria, and then into the ends of the world. Or, look at it this way. So here's an individual multiplication application. So let's look at Jerusalem, and I'm taking some um, some liberties here, okay? But I think that you'll see the connection. So let's say that Jerusalem is with your immediate family. Immediate family members. People that are close to you. There's your Jerusalem, Judea, your extended family, and your friends. I think this one might be in your worship guide and you're filling the notes. Your Samaria, how about your neighbors and your coworkers? Now you're getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. And then you're to the uttermost parts of the world, just new acquaintances. How do we... Start with immediate family members and get gospel boldness that allows us to get to the point where we can actually speak the gospel in the name of Jesus and witness to what He has done in my life to people that I didn't even know an hour ago. And that's what the Lord is calling us to do. And you've heard me say this many, many times before, you know, that if we're not living out the gospel in our homes and following Jesus there, reading the Word there, confessing sins there making every effort to keep unity there, worshiping with our lives and our time and our money and our homes, then our spouses or our kids or our neighbors are going to look right through this empty religion of ours and say, oh, so that's Christianity. That's what the religion of Christianity is Nah, no, thank you. I don't want to be part of it because it looks a whole lot more like hypocrisy than it looks like changed lives. My point being, we can't go to new acquaintances or to neighbors and co workers or even to extended family if we're not faithfully, consistently proclaiming the name of Jesus to the people that are right around us. And that's where it's hard. It's harder with my spouse and my neighbors that are relatives, you know, and my children, because I find myself often having to go and confess my sins back to them and to say, I am so sorry, Daddy was a jerk, you know. I confess to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. If we're not willing to do that or flip that and to say, child, you're forgiven, completely forgiven. In the same manner that I've been forgiven, you're forgiven. This is how we apply the gospel. If I'm not willing to do that in my own family, that I'm not going to be able to be successful doing it anywhere else. So sometimes when you see this acts 1:8 to the ends of the world, you're like, "Oh, he's talking about the mehans. Talking about the missionaries, the Papua New Guinea." Now, now we're talking about you and me being witnesses for Jesus with our own families. And then I started thinking about, "Well, how about Redstone Church Elizabeth multiplication, extrapolation methods for Redstone Elizabeth?" And, "Well, we want to learn how to just be witnesses." Okay, first and foremost, has Jesus changed your life? Okay, and can you find a way to articulate that to someone else to let him know what he let them know what he's done? Just start there. Okay? To be a witness, you know, and then to learn how to share the gospel. And then these discipleship initiatives that we're gonna talk more about tonight, to make sure that you're not going alone, that you're walking with someone, and maybe someone's walking with you that may be one-on-one, or it may be a group of like four of you guys but you're, you're reading the Word of God, you're holding each other accountable, you're confessing your sins one to another, and you're going into the Word of God saying, what does it say, and how do we obey this? Okay, that's these, are, these discipleship initiatives that we're, we're trying to do. And then we look at, going back to our definition, other church plants. Redeemer planted Redstone Johnson City, planted Redstone Elizabeth. And, and we, we, we think that the Lord is going to use this little church to plant another church somewhere. South Johnson City? needs one. Unicoi, you know, Roan Mountain, Roan Mountain, you know, who knows? Sorry, she lives Roan Mountain. Yeah, you, know, you never know, you know, but the Lord is always about multiplication, and I was having this conversation with one couple uh, two days ago, and um, we were saying, you know, it could be that the Lord has called you guys in, and yes, you're members now, okay? It could be that he's called you in, and this is where you're going to raise your kids, and this is where um, you're going to live your life, or probably not, He's probably going to take you guys and develop you and equip you and you'll probably then be sent out somewhere else because God is always about multiplication. And are we okay with that? We have to be okay with that. That's where we're going as a church. And that's why we're so passionate about the gospel and training people how to share the gospel and training people how to just be willing and available to be bold Jesus followers. Truth number two, gospel multiplication begins with wherever you are planted. So right now, it's a simple question. You don't have to answer out loud, though we do that from time to time. Where are you planted in life? Where can you start? Think about this prayerfully. Where's your Jerusalem? You got a Jerusalem? Jerusalem? Where is it? Who's in that Jerusalem? Where do you start? How about your Judea? What does that look like? Where's your current primary mission? And then for Redstone Elizabethan, we're currently planted as a church right here. Where's our Jerusalem? Where's our Judea? We have been planted for the purpose of multiplication. We are to multiply those who follow him we are to multiply those who will step into discipleship relationships with others we are to multiply those who will regularly say no to sin and yes to gospel centered living we are to multiply those who will begin to use their words to be witnesses to family members friends coworkers neighbors people at your favorite coffee shop restaurant or whatever bookstore But this multiplying mentality and these multiplying initiatives, I'm telling you this, they will be a part of our culture at Redstone Elizabethan. And if that makes you uncomfortable, well, great. Guess what? It makes me uncomfortable as well. That's why we go before the Lord and we pray that He would give us gospel boldness. It's about Him. It's not about us. It's in His strength. and not in our strength. Thank God for that. It's the foolishness of what's preached that saves people, not your ability to do it well. And I've seen that in my life over and over and over. Let me pause here to share a few just important truths that I could just jump on 30 minutes worth of rabbit trails, and I will not. But these are truths in truth number three. If we're going to be faithful to our call to go make disciples, then we must A truly understand the gospel. That sounds so simple and so basic. I hope that we could give a piece of paper to everyone here or put a a mic in front of you, and everyone who names the name of Jesus would be able to declare back to me what the gospel is. I hope that we could do that. But at a minimum, we must be able to do that. Okay, We must regularly be in the Word, which we talked about with the mehans earlier. It is the Word of God that is the Word of life. All Scripture is God-breathed. We can't disciple other people without the Word of God. We can't just conjure up wisdom by shooting from the hip. It's deeper than that. All of our wisdom comes from the Gospel, and it comes from the Word of God. C, we simply must be willing to go. Are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to go? And then D, are we willing to rely upon His power working in us. So there's these basic questions. If I'm going to be a disciple or if I'm going to be a multiplier, am, am I in the Word daily? And if you're not, that's usually one of the first questions we're going to ask you when we hang out with you one-on-one. We're like, hey, what's your time in the Word look like? And if you're like, yeah, I'm really struggling there. I'm struggling in sin and I'm struggling in the Word. I'm like, you know what? Actually, those two go together. Let's get you in the Word on a regular basis. Let's find a way to help the Word of God to come to life. And please, somebody tell me, in week number one or two, when we were in the worship leg, and we talked about your reason for reading the Word of God and your reason for prayer, do you remember what it was? Anybody? It's relationship. It's not because you're supposed to. It's because you desire to know Him and He's revealed Himself in His Word. We pray and we read the Word as a, as a striving into a deeper relationship with Jesus Himself. Okay, And if you're not working on that relationship, if you're not spending time talking to Him and listening to Him, then you're probably going to have a hard time saying no to ungodliness as well. Are you walking with someone? Do you have anybody walking with you? you? know, Do you understand the gospel to the degree that you could turn around and share it with someone else? Are you yielded to Him? And understand that the key is Him living through us. And lastly, are you willing to grow in this area of witnessing and multiplying the gospel from your Jerusalem to your Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the world? Because if you say... I have to say no to all those other things because I'm not doing real well, but I'm willing. And guess what? He's going to use you. Just being yielded, being available and saying, yes, Lord, send me. That's what, that's what He desires. And He will take that and He will use that to bring about multiplication every single time. And each of these questions are important because they impact the what of our going to make disciples. The, the how of going in His power, and the where of wherever you and I are planted and beyond. So for now, let's start focusing on our Jerusalem and our Judea, and then next week we'll talk about steps toward Samaria and into the ends of the world. And I am going to leave you with one... Um, Reminder, and then I'm going to give you one uh, powerful prayer. So here is the reminder, and I didn't put it up there, so you can you can make a note. Second Corinthians 2nd Corinthians five twenty says that you and I are his ambassadors, as though he's making his appeal through us. That's a reminder. Adam, you're right. I mean, it's, it's on his shoulders. God's the one that saves. but He uses us. He uses us. We are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal, his appeal to say no to sin, no to this world, and yes to him. He's making this appeal through us. Okay? And then there's, there's this prayer. And I'm only going to give you, and I'm going to come back to this part. I'm going to give you the small bit up here, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you. This is Ephesians 1, 16 through 20. And oh, how I cannot wait to preach through Ephesians, Sam. I'm giddy. Ephesians 1, 16 through 20. Paul says, and this is my prayer for you, and this should be your prayer for me and each other. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Praying what? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that you'll know Him, that the Spirit would help you to really, really know Him, and that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, open up the eyes of your heart, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And then here's where we jump into this verse up on our screen. And what is the immeasurable? Well, that's an interesting word. Immeasurable? Not able to be measured? It's so great, it's so vast, it's so deep, it's so high. This immeasurable greatness of His dunamis, His power... Toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Did you get that? Did you hear what He just said? God has given us the same Spirit and the same power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead and it resides in us. We have no excuse not to use that to be witnesses for Him. God, forgive us where we haven't. And God, open up our eyes that we can see who we have and what we have in Him and give us this gospel boldness to be willing to just to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll learn. I'll open my mouth and I will speak. Give us this faith. Remind us that through Christ in us, we already possess this power. The tongues of fire have already landed upon us. His presence is already here. We just must be willing to yield to Him. Let's pray together. I'm going to open up a mic in a moment just to see what's stirring around in your heart and your mind. And then we will uh, finish our time today with a, a little bit more worship. So before I begin praying, let's just be still before the Lord and think about our own hearts and think about our yieldedness. Think about our Jerusalem and our Judea and just allow Him to challenge us.